Hello and welcome to episode 95 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the casual spike focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies in modern and pioneer. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the one and only Shane Beeps. Stanislav, is it is it getting brisk? I see you're, you have multiple layers. Oh, Dave's giving me that you're talking about weather. Nice. <laughs> This guy, we cannot stop talking about here, weather. Here are my various items of stimulation, right? Or stimulus when I'm in this room with you. I, I see I see two t- you guys on camera. Mm-hmm. I see the the wall behind my computer monitors. I have I have no like I have, no, I have nothing to really to work with here. You're a very visual person. That's yeah. what I've heard and seen. It's you know, today was a normal day in Chicago, but the leaf peeping is out of this world right now. <laughs> you peeping those leaves? I you know, we went out to Stan, we went up to the lagoons that you told us about over the weekend. You went to Skokie Lagoon. What did you think? It was beautiful and wonderful. And I tell you what, the leaf peeping was unreal there. I see. I drove out west and uh in Colorado this weekend, and the leaf peeps were adequate. It's adequate leaf peeping. Well, it's because you you don't have enough deciduous trees there in Colorado. Yeah, it's a lot, it's you don't a have lot of pine. Leaf, you don't have leaf change, uh, change in colors. I did, I did, uh, tromp through some loam, some loamy soil. Mm. Also, that's the godfather, Dave Harberger. On this week's episode, we'll be taking as deep of a dive as possible into a genre of decks we've been avoiding for quite some time. And that's the Europile varietal. Oh. Four color, control, mid-range, Malarkey combo. When I'm, when I'm threatened with Uro piles. I just I go get the medicine that's required for that, and that is aggressive decks. Hmm. You know, this time of year, the color change on the Uro piles <laughs> is amazing, especially when they go from three colors to four colors. You know what I'm saying? It's just it's beautiful. The change in the in the the f- foliage, and when the Uros change from Saltai to Nephilim, you know that <laughs> fall is here. That's right. With this week's banning of Omnath and Standard, we decided to celebrate. <laughs> oh, Lord. And play with the cards while they were still legal in the other formats. Can can we just talk about how how glad I think we all are that we don't cover every format in Magic? Because, man, would I be tilting about the state of of Magic Standard way more than anyone wants to hear, including myself. Maybe we can do that on the wind down. A tilt off. We'd have a lot of easy episodes. Yeah. I'll say that. Another banning. Sweet. <laughs> Didn't we talk about this last week? After some sort of championship format that no one really knows what it's for, there was a banning. The grand finals, it had a killer lineup. Oh yeah, those are those are good players. I'm not saying that the players didn't participate in a tournament that mattered somehow. You're just acknowledging that a tournament existed. <laughs> A tournament happened. Of dubious import. An outcome took place. There's always money at the end of that rainbow, so I hope somebody got some money that they needed. Well, that was a lot of unscripted banter. I'm not going to read the rest of that intro. Instead... Ugh, I worked so hard on it. Okay, (laughs) fine. How good is this infamous duo in Modern and Pioneer? (laughs) I know, Dave, it's a lot of value to leave on the table, but we'll recoup some of those cards, mana, and life gain total transitions in the dive but first before all that let's spend some time on everyone's favorite part of the show that's some projection stan it's definitely my favorite it's housekeeping shout out this week is just to a sole new reviewer trevor g thank you so much for the kind words you know we do have a patreon 
And if you'd like to support the show directly, that's the way to do it. Did you did you start that without my knowledge? Have you been pocketing all the Patreon bucks? Shane, you are our treasurer. And so <laughs> if you don't know where the money... Have I been pocketing all the Patreon bucks? And then did you get bonked on the head by a book falling off your shelf and now you don't remember any of this? <laughs> it was Little Women. My wife has a thick hardback version on the top shelf for some reason. Mm. With Timothy Chalamet. Chalamet. Oh, yeah, but we do have a Patreon, right, Stan? We do. and Tell me about it. So it can be found over at patreon.com slash the dive down. It's got a bunch of different tiers. For just a dollar an episode, you can hang out in the dive down super secret Slack, best kept secret in all of Slack, talk to us, talk to fellow fans of Magic, uh, talk to fellow fans of Hades. What else is going on there right now? Today we were talking about Nightmare Before Christmas and Die Hard and the virtues of... Oh, no. Of Christmas movies? I'm glad I was busy. Nightmare Before Christmas is a particular point of conversation for me that I'm, I'd, I'd prefer to avoid. I'm shocked. I'm yeah, shocked you, that you uh, hate something you that so many people love. Is it the Danny Elfman score that bothers you? <laughs> <laughs> That's my Danny Elfman impression. So check that out. Check out the Patreon. Be, be a patron if you'd like. You could also support the show while playing Magic via yeah mana traders mana traders you know i use we use mana traders again this week we we had to violate some terms of service probably to play, play some decks oh this yeah week. send me my cards back <laughs> although you owned you owned all of those cards that's what i was un- given the understanding not the Uros or omnaths stan i'm providing us reasonable doubt no in our, no i'm coming <laughs> in our, clean in our tos violation court case mana traders v the dive down these decks are expensive, aren't they? Oh my god, they're so expensive. Uh, the Pioneer one's not so bad, but um, that's only because there's no fetches. So, but yeah, um, Mana Traders, it's sweet. Uh, we rent our Magic: The Gathering online cards through them. They're easy to use. They're efficient. Um, it, it's crazy. Like I, I don't wait anymore. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Like I just don't, you just don't wait. Like the cards are always there. I feel like if there's a winner in 2020, it's Mana Traders. Their platform has gotten so, so, so much better over the course of this year. Yeah, they're really killing it. And this, I mean, it sounds like a shill, but honestly, it's like I am impressed with like even early on, like, you know, we're promoting them. We're saying like, hey, join. It's awesome. It's it's amazing. And sometimes it's like, okay, you might have to wait six minutes. Yes. For your, for your cards. Like, you know, we have to wait a little bit. And like, this is, that doesn't happen anymore. So I'm like, I'm really enjoying using mana traders and um, it's making everything really easy. I hope that's not because fewer people are playing. Oh, they're playing. But uh, mana, use code the dive down, all one word. Uh, if you want to check it out, that gets you 15% off your first three months of the service. And we get a little bit of a kickback for that. And we appreciate uh, everyone who's uh, used Mana Traders and signs up with our code. Should we also do a soft, non-specific preview of what's to come in a mere five weeks? Well, Stan, I, I was under the impression that this was 95 was the big the big episode. I've been planning for this one. So what do you have to share with us then on this episode, Shane, on 95? Um, you'll see. <laughs> you'll see. That's I called see, a tease in the industry. I see that your screen name is Mr. 95, which for some reason reminds me of that Tom Selleck movie where he went to go play baseball in Japan, Mr. Baseball. <laughs> no, Mr. 95 is my favorite national song. Ah, ooh. <laughs> that sounds like it too. <laughs> so shall we do a soft, nonspecific announcement of what's to come in a mere five weeks? Do it. Episode 100. 
right around the corner. 100. 95 is special. 100 is more specialer. The week of November 16th, we are tentatively planning to live stream our recording. It will still be a podcast episode to download. We're also tentatively planning to do some kind of charity drive as part of that live stream. And we have a super ambitious, crazy, probably ill-advised idea for the topic of the episode, but we're keeping that one close to the chest. Yeah. And I will say, not the week of November 16th. It's probably the weekend of November 14th and 15th, which is not part of the week of November 16th. Sunday Sunday is. Sunday is. Saturday is not. There will be more information later or or maybe not maybe this is the only announcement and you'll just have to remember (laughs) it for five weeks that would be some poor promotion but yeah but the truth is we want to be able to say thank you to everybody and find a way to give back to the community a little bit and find a way to interact with all of you amazing people who make this show possible i'm sure we'll only have like 20 people show up to the stream but that's great we're down for that too whatever it is we're gonna have a party and people can come i'll bring the italian beef Denver Italian beef? No yeah. thanks. <laughs> they do have better beef in Denver than Chicago. I mean, that's where cows are from. I guess there are some cows here, aren't there? Stan, Shame. why don't we why don't, why don't we head into the breakdown? Yeah, this is 16 minutes of fluff. Let's talk about some real magic. 16, man. Your timer on is different than mine. Twelve, At least 12. Perhaps 11. Best 12 minutes of the week. All right. I'm on the <laughs> news is, desk. This is good content. <laughs> yeah, we're really firing at all cylinders today uh i did the breakdown this week i looked at two tournaments i'm gonna go over it briefly because we have a a a thick dive down two big cards but for the breakdown let's start with the pioneer championship qualifiers there's some interesting stuff happening here and today i'm only talking about the top eight so i'm assuming that uh certain players in the championship qualifiers are going to qualify for a pioneer championship so you may hear some of these names again later. Yeah, that's uh, it's again the the totally transparent, easy to understand Magic Online competitive environment. Qualifying for something, we assume a championship. First place was San Pop with Oops All Spells, featuring an eighty card deck and no Yorian. Yeah, sometimes you just want a lot of cards. You want to make your deck less consistent. So. At first, I thought this was a Yorion deck because I saw that it was 80 cards and I didn't even double check. And then Shane did. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, I don't think there's Yorion in this deck. And there's not. It it does have a lot of modern dredge staples. So you've got your prized amalgams, creeping chills, and silver smote ghouls. And it's an I mean, this this is just an evolution of like the oops all spells that I talked about a few weeks ago, right? Like and that, but but it has more cards. Right, right. It's got Balustrade Spy and Undercity Informer as sort of your dredge enablers and i was thinking about why why is it running 80 cards and no yorian because it doesn't really have particularly strong etb triggers so like there's no real good reason to play yorian for blinking and i think it's because you want the lowest possible odds of having like prize the malcolm creeping chill or silver smote in your hand a and you also want to use your seven copies of neoform or eldritch evolution on like a bunch of two drops i think you have 12 two drops in here 12 or 11, to just get your Undercity or Balustrade Spy and then just flip your whole deck and get all of the dredge cards in your library guaranteed. Yeah, so you know, my gag earlier was that 80 cards is less consistent. But what this deck, I think, is trying to do is it has more of the creature flippy lands that have 2CMC and 3CMC. So it has Tangled Floretalhedron, Right, which is one in a green CMC, but also enters the battlefield as a land. Uh, we have 
Kazandu Mammoth, which is a three CMC creature that also can enter as a land. Um, of course, it, it continues to run Black Bloom Rogue, another three CMC creature that enters as a land uh, in black. And then it has the opportunity to do things like cast Neoform or cast Eldritch Evolution, like you mentioned, to then get to your payoffs more quickly. So essentially, we're looking at, okay, I can naturally draw my uh, Balustrade Spy. I can naturally draw my Undercity Informer, or I can have some redundancy by getting Eldritch Evolution and getting Neoform in there. But I need to have some payoffs that aren't necessarily uh, cards that are hard to cast or hard to get on the battlefield. So that's where kind of those flippy cards come in, where they're either a land or a creature, and they don't count as a normal land. So the deck still works. So I think it's like it's easy to look at this and be like, well, this is a silly way to do this. But honestly, it's probably actually a way to just get our go from eight effects to nearly 16 effects. Yeah, I feel like if you get the dream hand and just flip your whole deck, you're you're doing 12 damage and creeping chills. You're getting 12 power on the board with your um, prize amalgams. And then another eight power on the no, 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 another 12 power on the board with your silver smote. What does this deck do if there's blockers out? Well, uh, driven to despair. So this deck runs the you can cast the despair side that gives all your creatures menace. So it's very challenging to have enough blockers to to stop the amount of attackers you're going to have when they all have menace. Yeah, and then like you handily like avoid you avoid the sweeper on their turn because your prize amalgams don't come into to their end step off because they trigger off the silver smoke ghoul. So it's like it's kind of like a nice little way to dodge even wraths on the next turn, unless they have like let's say a Teferi three uh into a wrath at instant speed on their turn type thing. But you know, it doesn't always happen. In second place, Wizard two thousand and two with Gruel Aggro. Pretty similar to the deck that Shane discussed last week. Basically, just a bunch of ways to play Rabble Master on turn two. Dot deck. Yeah, this is this is that this is the more common version, honestly, than like the chalky version that uh, Todd Anderson was kind of promoting. Um, it's this deck keeps winning, but I feel I do agree with uh, Ross. Has said this a few times. Ross Miriam on Pioneer Cast that this deck feels like it's trying to straddle two lines. It's trying to be two different decks. It's trying to be an aggressive gruel deck, but also tops out with a couple glory bringers and only has a couple ember cleaves. Um, it runs like two questing beasts. And rather than have like the full amount of Galias or the full amount of reckless bushwhackers for the surge cost, um, it's, it's sort of like saying like, Hey, I'm an aggressive deck, but I can maybe transition into like this glory bringer finish, or maybe focus on this ember cleave finish. I still think this deck, might be better as a like just tune it down just a little bit like get a little more speed in there but obviously it doesn't need it it still keeps winning yeah i i really like the full grip of a tarkus command in the main oh yeah that card's great in this deck a little burn a little uh what is it is it an anthem or a, a rally pump. a pump just a pump and a skull crack yeah why not if you want also it's got four copies of destructive revelry in the sideboard which shane you think that's a good medical yeah you know how you beat orzov auras with four destructive revelries. Wow. And also those the controlling, like the enchantment-based like control decks aren't gonna love seeing that either. Like the Yorion control just guy decks. Third place, Traft with Blue White Spirits. Pretty stock. Now running three Skyclave operation in the side. 
Yeah, this is a sweet deck. I love the blue-white version in Pioneer. Traft also came in uh, eighth place in the Pioneer Challenge, I believe. Weirdly, no Geist. No Geist in oh. this deck. I know you can't run Geist. I know you can't. Came in fifth place, but actually. Their name is Traft. They're not running Geist. It's ain't Traft. Exactly. How much That's better do you guys think this deck is going to get once we have the Azorius Pathway land? Better, Stan. It's going to be better. I think a lot better. You're yeah. right. Yeah, because right now it's like still running Mana Confluence. It's running like... I mean, it'll probably do is like be able to just be able to shave to like no mana confluence and probably cut a few islands or like one island, one planes. So like we're not running all this pile of basics and it'll just have, you know, the four of the pathways. Isn't Gruel still running some confluence? Gruel can. Like let's this this deck is not. Like, and I actually haven't seen confluence a lot. Like what it's still doing is maybe like one rootbound crag, which is I would I would just run the confluence. You know what I mean? For sure. Like, just do it. Fourth place, Kaviza with Jeskai Luca. Relatively stock, but now it's got four copies of Transmogrify in the main. Basically, just to turn all of your shark tokens into shark tokens or wall tokens into Agent of Treacheries a little faster if you can't find your Luca. And, you know, I heard uh, the Faithless Brewing guys talking about this card like weeks ago, just kind of scratching their head why this Jeskai deck in Pio wasn't running Transmogrify as extra copies of Luca. Um, and I think it was their Dave who posited that it's just like not enough people playing Pioneer to innovate. And it's interesting to see like it finally got added. Like it's a total, makes total sense. You can cast it sooner than Luca itself. It's also got more copies of Agent of Treachery now than before. Bada bang. Seems great even with Fires of Invention because you can cast it on the same turn that you play your Fires of Invention. In fifth place, Yashimoro with green-white auras, a deck I am not familiar with. Definitely not black-white auras. It's a different deck from black-white auras. I don't know if you've, if you've seen this one, Stan. No, not really. Um, I, I w- <laughs> what is it getting over, over black? Like, it's got Season of Growth. That's Glade Cover Scout. <laughs> yeah, it has, it has Hexproof. It's Bogles, kind of. Yeah, like, Yashimoro's won a few things with this deck already. Like, remember that a couple weeks ago, I think they came in, like, first and second, or, like, first and fifth or something like that, like, over a weekend event, two weekend events. So they've been maining this deck for a while. Like, it's, you know, it's got Luris, um, you know, it has Pile of Auras, Glade Cover Scout, All Seed of Lars Bounty, SRAM, all the stuff you'd expect, and they clearly know what they're doing with it. Yeah, Season of Growth is, like, a backup SRAM, kind of. So it's another effect that lets you draw extra cards whenever you cast a spell that targets a creature you control gain a card or draw a card so you um you know you get that kind of draw engine going it's a good way to kind of get moving from there yeah plus season is an enchantment so it does add to your all that glitters count as well it's pretty cool yeah people were playing that card in standard for a little bit with feather i don't know if you remember that kind of moment but that was something that was going on sixth place james g with jeskai luca so the previous Luca deck I mentioned had four copies of Supreme Verdict. This one only ran two. Instead, it had an extra Luca Copper Coat in that slot, as well as a one-of copy of Emirius Call, the white mythic uh, flip land that also costs three if you want to play it untapped, or you can play it the hard way and just make a bunch of, what is it, a couple angels? Mm-hmm. One thing that's interesting that I, I didn't see in these decks before is that this one, James Z's list at least has four Chain to the Rocks. Totally. And I do not remember that. It looks like it was in the fourth place as well. That's interesting. Good card. Good card. It can be like Swords of Plowshares in the right context. So. Seventh place, Patsky 
with black white auras. Wow, sure is. Okay. Sure. So this one is definitely not green white auras. Not a single no. green card in the seventy five. It's not Obzon auras. Yeah, and what you get here instead is really just these decks have kind of slimmed down and are really only casting black for hateful Eidolon now. Yeah, and maybe I mean, you get your you get your sideboard interaction. Right. Thoughtseize, Fatal Push. You get Luris, of course. I guess you don't need you don't need black for Luris. No. no. So yeah, main deck, they just like that hateful idol on so much. It's a good powerful card in this deck. So And then finally in eighth place, Slaterade with Lotus Combo. Featuring a couple Bolligan recovery as well as two Peer into the Abyss. I actually had noticed had not noticed this deck playing Peer before. Yeah, I I noticed it, but I don't really know what it does you know what i mean that's like that's really advantageous so uh i mean it's just a, it's a it's a card that's very expensive that it can cast so well they draw their deck guessing you yeah you can just target you can target your opponent so well oh i just assumed they would target themselves to just draw their whole deck and get closer to finding like if they haven't found fave wishes they'll definitely find fave wishes and then they can just like get to their jace wielder of mysteries win faster yeah yeah, I think that's where it's at. We're doing the kind of like the uh, Necropotence thing, sort of <laughs> ramp to a big draw spell, draw it, pay a bunch of life, go from there. Infernal Contract maybe is the card I'm thinking of as well that wasn't a historical antecedent to this. You think Balaget is stock now, Shane or Dave? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's, it's just been in there for weeks now. Lands are good. So I, I, I do wonder whether at least this weekend and maybe in this moment in pioneer like these lotus combo decks are capitalizing on the general lack of mono black aggro not as many thoughts uses flying around and also i noticed in the top 32 very few copies of damping sphere there's only one deck in the top eight that had damping spheres and in all of the top 32 there were just nine copies of it i mean i don't know if i kind of agree with the stance that mono black isn't there it's the most popular deck by a good margin in the past few weeks i think there were like seven in the top 32 of the tournament we talked about last week um but i do think that people are not respecting the deck enough uh and not running enough damping sphere like this is like the fourth most popular deck in the in the format lotus combo so i mean if, if you aren't if you don't have room for a couple of damping sphere in your sideboard i don't know what you're doing it's colorless it's colorless exactly put it in there it's easy to run all right, jumping real quick to the modern challenge. This is not some qualifier. This is just a regular old modern challenge. Won by Canister. Is he new? <laughs> Up and comer. Canister won with four color cat combo featuring Yagantha. And also Omnath and Uro in some quantity as well. Although not as many Uros as I thought, as I remembered when I looked at the list. There's only two Uros and three Omnaths for your kind of value package, but... Yeah, I mean, this is, this is, it's what, it's like, it's like, it looks what it, it's, it is what it seems, right? Like it's an Oath of Nyssa, Utopia Sprawl, Felidar, Sahili Rai combo deck with like Teferi 3 and, and Remand to protect it. Yeah, it's like, and it, it's not quite control. It's just a weird ramp deck that has a few tempo spells here and there. I mean, it's just like, I'm going to path your stuff and I'm going to, and you're going to like it. Cast some Remands if I need to and ramp early and win. Yeah, Canister wins with a lot of decks. <laughs> Must be nice. I will say, I've seen other players talking about this deck on Twitter, calling it Money Pile, <laughs> and also saying that uh, someone said they, they just got their 10th trophy oh with this God, on Twitter really? just now. Not with this particular deck, but their 10th trophy oh, okay. with this deck. So 
pretty interesting. Wow. People are picking it up. Maybe this is the new deck to beat. We'll keep, oh, we'll, we'll see. We'll keep an eye. Second place, Teruto 1212 on a four color Uro pile. This is the white no version. Yeah no, yeah, no combo, just four colors with white to cast Omnath and just make opponents miserable. You ramp, you counter, you win. This is exactly the deck that I played this week. 29 lands. This deck has 29 lands in it. You, got, you need those to cast spells, Dave. Yeah, they're good. The lands or the spells? Both. Huh. That's why you want half and half. You want 30 lands and you want 30 spells. Perfect. That's how you build a deck. Interesting. Third place, Noso Nosan on a four-color Uro pile. Basically, almost a mirror image of the second place deck. So like the, a weird twin? Uh, it's a bad twin. <laughs> uh, Bizarro, Bizarro Uro pile. Yeah, this one has a little goatee. <laughs> Fourth place, Covert on green-white Heliod. So Arbor Elf Utopia Sprawl plus Heliod and Walking Ballista. It is gutsy to play this deck on Magic Online. It's gutsy. Um, this deck has been doing really well lately, though. If you have, I mean, this is kind of flying under the the real radar, I think, of a lot of people. But like we've talked about this deck, like every week, I think that we've talked about modern. We have mentioned some kind of build of this deck. I like I like the Oriok Champion. Um, remember that life gain triggers Heliod to add a counter. So like if you bring in a Walking Ballista for two CMC and you have an Oriok Champion out, you're gonna trigger life gain from the Oriok champion trigger, mm -hmm. and then you get to slap a slap an immediate counter on your walking ballista. Can you if play you so choose? Can you play the ballista for free and keep it? It doesn't. I guess it. I mean, it doesn't eat the ETBs. How does that work? We talked about this on the episode, and I'm trying to remember. Judge Jack. Judge Jack. What? Why? What makes you think it's gutsy to play this deck? Because people don't concede to infinite life. Mm, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, you have to win still. So the spike feeder combo isn't enough. You remember when we then we play test this deck and talk about I did. that exact scenario? <laughs> yeah, nobody scooped to me when I was playing. Yeah, it was it was really annoying. I don't think they should scoop on Magic Online, but oh, that's an argument, Dave. I know we had the argument on the episode. Yeah, that's why it's gutsy. Yeah, yeah. Well, I thought that was a very cool deck, but the fifth place deck was Danker. On blue-white control. Danker than the last one. This is just like old-fashioned blue-white. No stone blades. No Sharknado. Just good old-fashioned Planeswalkers. Wrath. Removal and counter spells. Even running four Wall of Omens. Uh, excuse me. Even running four Celestial Colonnade. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome back to 2017. Holy crap. Just... <laughs> this, is, this is the only deck I have in Magic Online. <laughs> uh, <laughs> one of these days. I don't, I don't, I don't know about rental services so good on you anchor you know what this deck is i love this i love seeing this deck pop up every occasionally agreed three mystic gate i find really interesting you love those lands so much you're gonna every time you see them you're like oh well, this, <laughs> this is this is this filter lands time to shine yeah three is a lot though it is it is a lot and it's still running a mystic sanctuary too yeah it's good though i i endorse it keep keep being you danker all right, sixth place, PMK with five-color human tribal. Oh, they have five colors now? Yeah. So I had a shower thought over the weekend. Is humans, would you guys consider humans in, in the modern Hall of Fame? Is it in the Pantheon next to Tron and Burn and Jund? And like Grixis Death Shadow? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a beautiful For deck. Sure. It's perfection. Well, there you go. It's settled then. Someday we're going to have to do an episode where we talk about the decks that are in the, in the Hall of Fame. Maybe we could rank them sometime or something. Maybe we can do that in episode 100. 
<laughs> no, we can't. We can't no, do it. No, we're not going to do that. We can't do it then. No, never. All right, a, a future, maybe episode two hundred. Seventh place, Wyvern with Charbelcher. Now, for a second, it did look like this deck had been outmoded by like the other balustrades by Oops All Spells decks, and yet here we are playing four Iron Crag feet in modern. This deck still makes me a little sad, but here it is. Running Chalice. I don't think it was running Chalice before. That is very interesting to me. And also main deck Blood Moon. I think it was sideboard Blood Moon before. So this is like a prison-y kind of take on the uh, Charbelcher deck, which is maybe a good place to be. Yeah, take your time, and then eventually you just combo out, slow your opponent down with a little disruption. Mm-hmm. Passive disruption that you can ritual out. Right, right. right. All right, and then in eighth place, Van's Guy on another Uro pile. Hey, really good timing for today's episode. That's a lot of Uro and Omnaths. Seems to be, and a lot of Renin Six, too, their other best friend. But Yeah, that, that card's okay. Surprising lack of prowess in the modern top eight makes me wonder whether Uro is actually just really good against, like the white Uro version, especially if it's just really good against like these Thoughtseize prowess decks. Yeah, there's actually only two decks in this top 32 with scourge of the sky claves uh the one red black deck is in 17th place and then there's a jund deck that just kind of looks like jund that's running scourge uh just in the deck in 14th place so yeah after prowess went nuts a couple weeks ago here we are with a big weekend for uro so i was when i was looking at the pile results it was like aggro control aggro control and then a, a single combo deck, which yeah. which kind of made me wonder: is is mid range in a poor place in Pioneer right now? Dan, it's you're asking these questions that I feel like it's like, did you not listen to the episode that you participated in last week? <laughs> where like that was that was my contention about Pioneer, where it's like there's only there's only aggro and and, and various forms of like high mid range control slash control decks, right? Oh, is that where I got the idea for that question from? Probably. Um, glad to know that you took it and made it your own though. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess it's like, it's weird. It's like, it's what, what's your definition of mid range? You know what I mean? It's like, is, is four color Omnath mid range? I, I might contend that it is. Um, it's not, doesn't, it doesn't play like a control deck. You know what I mean? It plays like, it plays like a a ramp mid range deck at this point. Well, five color Niv was kind of our premier mid range deck for, for a minute there, especially over the, over the top mid-rangey like really really like slow mid-range type stuff i don't think there's room there's not a lot of room for like your i think this is just what mid-range is now like the car and we'll talk about this later is the quality cards are not in the the colors of your like you don't need removal to be a mid-range deck right now is a is a contention i think you can make at least in pioneer Mm -hmm. you can gain two for ones in a different way is kind of what you're saying yes that's a good summary in what do you, in which way do you mean then? Well, that's a good tease for the uh, the dive down on this episode. Yeah, why are you making me spoil? All right, well then let's take a break so we can stop teasing and start talking. That's right. We're going to jump into the dive down where we're talking about Simic Mythic cards and other colors also in the Mythic card Simic variety. <laughs> Great lead in. <laughs> Stay with us. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special 
edition of our Dive Down segment. It's not every week that we start what I will know will be a very popular new series of episodes in the pantheon of spoiler episodes and sleeve belief heave and even our patented deck dives. We have a new entry. That's right. This week, it's history in the making. So what we realized is that there are sometimes decks on this show that we just don't ever play because we don't like them. (laughs) We'd prefer not to. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what? We woke up a couple weeks ago and we were like, that's not really fair. It's not fair to our listeners who love these, some of these decks. Even if we like those listeners less because they love these decks, we still need to make content for them as well. I mean, it's also like some of the most played decks and played cards in both of these formats, right? Maybe. But are we trendsetters or trend followers, guys? A little bit of both. We're followers. That's what we are. A little bit of both. It's my contention. We we set the trend of making awesome modern podcasts, Dave. You know, what? what's interesting is that we have this little Slack echo chamber, too. And I don't feel like anyone in the Slack is even asking for this. You know, we don't have any Euro stands. Not that we know of in modern, for sure. Yeah. Which is interesting. We're gonna, And we're going to talk about that particular part a little bit later. But what we're going to do right now is welcome you to volume one of what I call We Did It for Science, where we play decks that we don't like, even though we don't like them. Dave, I'm glad you did this. You know that I love thematic episode, you know, title, colon, episode. I just love that. I just need, I want, I want more of those. Well, and also this lays a good foundation in the future for us to play decks other than the deck we chose this week, which of course is four color piles as Uh, Stan mentioned decks that focus on Uro and Omnath. Maybe we could even play other Titan decks in the future, which is something that none of us really play either. Or maybe this is where we'll file away, finally file away that Adnaz episode that we've talked about a few times. Although I think that's a deck that we, I think Adnaz is a deck that we actually like. But yeah, maybe Neoform we would throw in here as well. So that's right. This week we're talking about, we did it for you. We did it for science, Uro and Omnath. Dave, okay. So we, t- we gave a little, little bit of a tease on this, but we hate these cards. <laughs> why, why, why are we talking about them? Like legit, like what? beyond just doing it for, for the listeners. Well, Shane, I'm so glad you asked. There's three real reasons that we have to talk about these things, right? Number one, these cards are everywhere. Both Uro and Omnath are here in modern According to MTG Goldfish, Uro is currently the third most played creature in Modern, and it's in 16% of the decks that show up on Goldfish, none of which are contributed to by our patrons and our little FMs. I love I saw I saw this week's this week's FM on, on Goldfish. Now you saw my excellent one-two where my one was from the buy and my twos were from legit losses to very good members of the Dive Down Nation who just destroyed me. Uh, anyway. Omnath is not quite as bad as Uro. It is down at 27th as far as uh, creatures played. It's only in 7% of decks, but that's about Wormcoil engine level, which everybody knows I love that card. I hate that card. Yeah, it's one of your favorites. Uh, <laughs> one of my favorite. Maybe that's another episode of this series in the future. Simeon Spirit Guide, Meddling Mage. These are normal format staples. Uh, but Shane, it, the story's a little different in Pioneer, right? Yeah, most played creature in the format, Uro. Right. 26% of decks appearing on Goldfish. So one of every four times you would play a deck, potentially, on Goldfish, you would run into a deck playing Uro. Omnath is the third most played. 
card in the format. 16% of decks. And it has only been legal for 20 days. Yeah, it's good to go. Right? Just slap that in there. 16% yeah. of decks. And so that's that's the first part. They're everywhere. Gotta play them. Uro and Omnath have both been appearing in decks. They're super successful in Modern and Pioneer. They're having win rates. We're seeing it all over the place. Canister won the challenge this weekend with a cat combo Uro Omnath deck. Uh, there were four total Uro Omnath decks in that top eight. And I when I looked at the other Modern Challenge, the Saturday Modern Challenge, I believe that there were eight Uro Omnath decks in the top 32 of that Modern Challenge. In Pioneer, there were eight Uro Omnath decks of different persuasions in the top 32 uh, of Saturday of last week. That's a lot. Yeah, it's not great. I mean, we'll see. Yeah. But but yeah. it's successful, and they're, they're, they're getting there. And finally, the last reason is these are card designs that we should be spending some time <laughs> talking about. Have some takes, you mean? Some takes? And so let's let's make sure we save some time for some takes. But for now, we're going to get into uh, why why did we hate these cards? Yeah, I mean, you can't. I think you can't just say we hate these cards. I think without providing a little bit of context for at least why you do. I like this list you have here. This is like this is this is significant. Is this the list? This is your list. All right. Well, thank you for helping with that awkward transition of a question of me ending a segment and then handing it off to myself. I appreciate that. You know, that's what I'm. That's what we're here for. So here's here's why I don't like I don't like these cards or I don't think that I want to play these cards very much when I look at them. Okay. The first thing is I'm not super good at playing like reactive decks no, these days. They're hard. They're hard. Players online, I think in particular, are too good for me to go into the queues and be like a loose control player. I've also found that like the decisions that you make or that you get to make playing decks like this are just different than the decisions I feel like at least I'm used to making. And I think recently I would say that you're used to making, right? Which is like, how do I maximize damage output of like particular cards and how do I sequence my hand and, and maximize the opportunities that are within my deck that I know are there to like eke out a win. And the decisions in like these, these types of decks just aren't there. And I'll talk, I think we'll both talk more about that. Uh, later on in terms of like what playing the decks felt like, but I'm just not comfortable. It's like not, it's not something that like, I don't have those patterns in my brain as well. Yeah. It's really hard for me to sit there and go, I'm not supposed to do something on this turn pass. Mm -hmm. Stan, this is something that you're a little bit more comfortable with. You feel okay with decks like that. What do you think about that? I just think you haven't found the right control deck. If you're going to make blanket statements, like suddenly you don't like playing control anymore. Because what you're kind of suggesting is this is the best or premier way to play control right now is with these Euro piles, which may or may not be true. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely a significant amount of the, the control slash big mid-range kind of deck. Also, okay, the next th reason that I don't super like cards like this is because of the cost problem. It's a non-zero non factor for me, even though I'm just running cards on Moto a lot. Number one, it made it hard to like play these decks because it's over a thousand tickets. But it also just bums me out that like these giant mythics come out and they're like 50 tickets pop. And they're more expensive on Moto right now because of the fact that people don't draft on Moto the way that they used to, which is unfortunate. But that's kind of a bummer for me as well. I wouldn't have to go super deep on that, but it is a drag when I, when I see these cards and I go, yeah, that's going to be a $50 card and I'm just probably not going to get it until six months after it's played. And then it's going to get banned two weeks after I get it. Yeah. It's like, it's, 
Omnath is perhaps the culmination of some interesting and negative trends we've seen in, in, in contemporary card design. And Omnath is just sort of like the, 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 the latest card and sort of maybe the Oko vein where it's like, Hey, here's a card that is ostensibly has a drawback, right? Here, the ostensible drawback is it's four colors. And again, I'm kind of, kind of putting the, what the horse in front of the cart. And that's where you want it cart in front of the horse. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah, jumping ahead but like yeah it's like ostensibly this card has a niche but instead it's everywhere and therefore it's super expensive and super desirable and just gets slapped into as many things as possible because it's so good both Earl and omnath and that yeah. just gets kind of annoying right it's like okay this is an expensive card both in paper even though people aren't really playing paper and in digital and that's a consequence of both the way that arena has eaten into drafting and the weird paper to digital you know tie-in on magic online it sort of like becomes frustrating in large ways yeah i mean i can just be a little bit of contrarian about like the best cards too where sometimes I'm like, yeah, I don't want to play the best deck. I want to play the second best deck, which is weird because I don't think of myself as being like a rogue deck person. But I, I'm always surprised when a deck that I really like playing is suddenly the most popular deck. Like, for example, Blue Red Blitz became for a minute there. That was not something I saw coming. I wonder if this relates to a feeling I often have, which is I absolutely hate playing mirror matches. And whenever a deck I love suddenly gets really popular and I have to play mirror matches, it takes a lot of the fun out of a deck for me. And I wonder if that's kind of like an extension of what you feel when you don't want to play the best deck because you kind of want to see a little bit more variety in the magic you play. And then you don't want to have to like see your opponent playing all the same cards as you do and like try to level three one another. Yeah. You know, I kind of worry that it's something that's a little bit more of a character flaw with me, which is just like, you know, when I was younger... I spent a lot of time on like pitchforkmedia.com reading a lot of like indie record reviews and was like indie record guy. I was like, oh, you haven't heard of this? Yeah, it's good music though. That's good music. You should check it out. You haven't heard of it. So like being a little bit of the like connoisseur of the things that aren't quite popular, that is something that is, you know, like I'm way more excited about the fact that taxes is maybe good Right. right now than I am about the fact that like Omnath is a really sweet creature that's clearly awesome, you know? I don't know. That's my problem. How do you like the knack? The knack. Like my Sharona? Yeah. I mean, that's that's a deep cut. Wow. I prefer um <laughs> I prefer the band that did God, I'm so, I prefer squeeze to the knack if I'm gonna be honest. Mm, so yeah. you know. Yeah. I mean, personally, I, I just don't really care about generating value through cards like this, right? It's just like not the way I want to be I want to be generating value where it's like, hey, I'm I'm creating greater inevitability through this type of card. And for whatever reason, Uro is not that card for me. I'll give you my thoughts on Omnath later. Um, But it's just like, I think it's it's part of just kind of the contemporary way that value is generated. And it gets back to what I talked about earlier, which is like, this is the new mid-range. And it's a different kind of mid-range. It's a different kind of value. It's a different kind of value accrual. It's a different kind of value accrual over time than I'd say that we are kind of used to. And there are some thoughts I think we have about that and that the community has about that largely in terms of the way these cards are designed and play out. Yeah. I I mean, you guys covered it nicely, but for me at least, it's kind of a 
combination of I have a pretty narrow threshold for cards that are obvious. And I don't love this notion of like Uro is this card that's like so good that not only is it almost never wrong to put it in your deck if your deck supports it, it's also kind of never wrong to play it. And, you know, getting back to Shane's point about like the decisions you get to make, I prefer to play cards and decks for my own enjoyment that let me kind of have to decide like what sequencing I want, what lines I want to pursue, and the plays I'm trying to make. And like Uro, uh, even more so than Omnath, I think, is just a little obvious. I want subtlety. I made that complaint a few weeks ago, right? Where it's just like, these cards are designed to go into decks. And you're going to run these cards if you can. And sometimes they're so good that you're just going to run them because the mana is so easy that it makes sense to, or the value you're going to get out of it is so good that you're going to. So yeah, I agree with you, Stan, where it's like, the deck building choices aren't as interesting because like it just further reduces the amount of cards that are super playable in a lot of ways. Yeah, the point Dave made about taxes being good is more interesting. You know, like we went on and on about how I went on and on about how great Skyclave Apparition is. I love calling it out when I see it in like any and every deck now, but there's no consensus on how many you're supposed to put and where you're supposed to put them. And like there's still decisions and and fine tuning to be made, whereas like Uro is always going to like be around and it's it's always going to be a main deckable card as long as it's legal. Yeah. So let's let we should push forward, right? Like yeah. let's 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 do, let's let's get so into it's these, enough about us. Let's get into these piles of Uros. Are y'all ready to hold hold your nose and dive into the Uro pile? Oh, oh sure. God. I'm sure Uro yeah. smells great. Yeah. Especially after being escaped. He looks <laughs> looks like rained on garbage loamy stuff. I wonder if he has like a little mustiness. Let's 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 look at these cards a little bit more closely, right? We've talked about these cards. Unless you're Shane in the in the the easiest anatomy of a card section we've ever had is like I'm going to tell you about why good cards are good. Yeah, here's some good. Here's why good cards are good. All right, uh, Uro Titan of Nature's Wrath, one green blue, one in a Simic. Okay, so this so it's a legendary Elder Giant. When it ETBs, sacrifice it unless it escaped. When it enters the battlefield, ETBs. Whenever Uro ETBs or attacks, you gain three life and draw a card. You may then put a land card from your hand onto the battlefield. Escape, green, green, blue, blue. Exile five other cards from your graveyard. Uh, that's the escape cost. It's a 6-6. Six, six. Okay, so I think the important thing here is to talk about escape. And it's the keyword ability introduced in Theros Beyond Death. Uh, connected to, like, escaping from Nyx or something like that, right? Maybe give like, us the flavor who here. Who cares? Um, yeah. <laughs> so they, they have an escape cost. And that cost always includes exiling other cards from your graveyard. And if a creature escapes, it can receive an uh, additional bonus. So I want to say yeah. escape is super broken. It's crazy. Like it's a broken ability. I think they did a good job of not making any of the individual cards like absurdly broken other than Underworld Breach. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like this is a very good card with a really powerful ability, but it's not like they made it exile two cards or something yeah. absurd. You know what I mean? Or they made it green, blue, exile two cards, do this, or exile five cards. Like that would have made it a lot worse than it is. Well, basically they created the illusion that you have to work for it. <laughs> yeah. That's that's always like the ostensible cost is that it has this like exile cards. And that is a cost in some formats, right? There's also a mana tax. Like if you want to consider a 6-6 six, six for green, green, blue, blue um, uh, mana tax. So it is more than the front side cost. But when, you know, if Furrow dies, he just enters the graveyard again. You can ex escape it again, provided you have the cards to exile, right? And of course, Earl doesn't have to die to be put into your graveyard. You can mill it over, you can discard it, you know, whatever. Yeah, absolutely. 
So let's say you cast Uro from your hand, okay? Let's talk about what actually is happening here. You pay one green and blue, it ETBs, you put these two triggers in the stack in the order that you choose, okay? And there's actually some importance to the order that you choose, but- There is? Yeah, there is. Okay. So when, when Uro ETBs, you gain three life, you draw a card. You can then put a land card from your hand onto the battlefield, okay? So gain three life. Not something you wanna pay three CMC for, but perfectly fine as like this added ETB trigger for your three mana six, six, right? Like it begins to stabilize your life total even early on in a game. That's really important here. You know, it's, you're getting kind of like, you're, you're beginning to see the first piece of the puzzle of Uro and why it's good. You're getting like, you're getting value even for three mana. Mm-hmm. Draw a card, perhaps the most three, the most powerful three words in magic besides maybe like draw three cards. So, you know, yes, Uro replaces itself even with the default casting cost of one green blue. You know, this is one of those lines of text that's like getting tacked onto cards more often these days. And I think people are saying like, this is kind of like a dangerous paradigm, right? Like it just, it reduces the risk involved in putting a card into your deck because even the fail safe mode, if it resolves at least, is it replaces itself. So this again, like Stan was saying, is like the card's already obviously good. It's, there's not a lot of risk to even put this card in your deck because it's, the text is so powerful, but it just replaces itself. It draws a card no matter what. And this is one of the issues that people see with some like free cards, like let's say Mishra's Bauble or some of the more powerful cantrips in modern that have been banned out where it's like, there's no reason not to play this card if you're in blue or something like that. There's no reason to play a Mishra's Bauble in a deck if maybe it's a prowess deck or something like that. That has not sustained itself uh, since, let's say, the early Grixis Death Shadow days, right? Where it's like not every deck is just running Mishra's Bauble because it can, because there are downsides there. And of course there's downsides to Uro, but yeah, draw, draw a card. Easy three words you want to see on any card you're playing in Magic. Third line of text here. Put a land card from your hand onto the battlefield. So yeah, you get ramp as well. This happens after you draw your card. So even if you didn't already have that extra land in hand, you have a pretty good chance to have drawn into one because of the previous trigger of draw a card. That's all good stuff, right? Like these are all, these are things you want to have happen when you're, when your three mana spell resolves. Right. Okay. Second, second trigger. When Uro enters the battlefield, sacrifice it unless it escaped. So this is the ostensible downside to Uro, right? If you did not cast it out of your graveyard, if you didn't have five cards of exile from your graveyard, you didn't pay the green, green, blue, blue, you don't actually get a creature on the battlefield. Like, yeah, you gained three life, drew a card, and ramped yourself. But Seems okay still. <laughs> but you don't have that 6-6 six, six along with it to do anything with. But it's now in your graveyard for you to escape later. So Shane, you talked about how the order of those triggers is important. Can we talk about that for a minute before we go on? Yeah, let's talk about it. So you order the triggers in the way you want, right? The way the thing you want to avoid is let's say you have seven mana or you're going to make seven mana somehow, right? If you cast Uro from your hand for one green blue, okay, and you put the sacrifice trigger on the stack first, meaning it will resolve second everything else happens first your opponent can then respond to the trigger and eat uro with like a scavenging ooze or a cling to dust or something like that right if you put the sacrifice trigger second on top okay 
No, hold on. You're right. Is it, am I am I wrong here, Dave? Like, so basically, there is a way like that you make it so that you don't like you you put your sacrifice trigger on the bottom rather, right? So it happens second. So then your opponent has nothing to respond to. So it, so it goes in the graveyard, and then you cast it from your graveyard with an escape clause, and they didn't have a chance to eat it with like a scavenging ooze or or pop a Tormod's Crypt or something like that. So what you're saying is put it on the stack first so that it is the last one to yeah, resolve. Yes, so you want that to resolve last so that you're, it's an empty stack. Your opponent can't respond to anything. Now, you, so you want to hold up priority if you're going to do that. That is fascinating. I didn't even... That didn't even occur to me, but that is a really good point is that if you're going to try to do something else before they have a chance to respond to ERO or something like that, there is a way for you to make it not possible. And that's just another reason to be a little annoyed with this card. Yeah. So escaping ERO gives you all those same triggers. Okay. But since it escaped, you now get your six mana or your three, four mana, six, six on the battlefield to do creature things like attack block put skull clamp on sacrifice to like, you know, sacrifice it to Ashnod's altar or something like that, whatever you want to do. Give it a Sky Mall. Yeah, give it a Sky yeah, Mall. give it a Sky Mall. Sure. So when Uro's in the battlefield, now we can talk about those other two words in the first trigger. Whenever Uro enters the battlefield or attacks. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, every time your four mana 6-6 six, six decides to get in there, you get to gain three more life, draw another card, put another land from your hand onto the battlefield. Seems okay. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously a uh, allusion to the original Titan cycle, right? So just keep that in mind. That's why it does that flavorfully but hachimachi right hold on guys quick question just just two seconds i heard everything you said but can you like explain real quick what makes uro good (laughs) (laughs) i think it's i think it's uh it's a four mana six six oh it also draws a card um it ramps you and it gains life and why is that all relevant i thought life gain was bad yeah it's because it's because it, it it uh triggers your heliod Oh, there it is. Gotcha. When it gains right. life. Okay. You should have right. led with that. Perfect. All right. Heliod staple and or uh, Uro staple in this model white. Yeah. You yeah. splash it. Okay, we gotta look at another pile of words. Omnath focus of creation. Red, green, white, blue, legendary, elemental. When Omnath ETBs, you draw a card. Why not? Okay. And now Crackling Drake had that and we were okay with that. <laughs> Uh, it also had flying. Or, Omnath does not have flying. I'm not, you're, this is all fair. This is a fair fair criticism of Omnath, okay? Yeah. Omnath, however, does have a number of landfall triggers, okay? And whenever a land ETB is under your control, you gain four life. If this is the first time, uh, this ability has resolved this time, the turn. If it's the second time, you get to add red, green, white, blue. Yeah, sure. If it's the third time, Omnath deals four damage to each opponent, and each planeswalker you don't control. It's a 4-4. Four, four. Okay, so... Omnath's ETB is not quite as crazy as Uro's, right? It's still fine. You draw a card. These are three good words. Yeah, love them. My favorite words. But where Omnath is generating value is in the landfall trigger or triggers. It's kind of weird. I've never actually seen many cards or any card templated in this fashion where it's like, you don't choose. It happens in this order and only this order, right? And the first gains you four life. Perfectly good number. Stabilize your life total. Second is where things get wild. You generate essentially four free mana in red, green, white, and blue, which along with that turn's land drop is likely providing a significant amount of mana for you to work with, especially if you have something, let's say, like Lotus Cobra, um, which is adding additional land. Let's say you have a Fabled Passage or a Fetch Land and a Lotus Cobra. You're, you know, this, this, is what, this is what makes this card kind of tick. And the third time, which happens much less frequently, allows you to, or perhaps mildly less frequently, allows you to deal four damage to your opponent and their, and their Planeswalker. So how might you get a third landfall trigger? 
because it's like it's easy to be like, well, th- third landfall trigger. Why I never? Yeah, I mean the easiest one is just sandbag a fetch land. Or well, that's two. That's two. No, guess, you, oh, you mean you, just keep it on the battlefield? Just keep it on the battlefield. Yeah, get like get a trigger with it earlier. Just keep it on the battlefield. Play a fetch land. Fire it off. Crack the other fetch land. There you go. That's that's easy. Yeah, I mean this, but, it's frequently is run with Uro. So all Uro's got to do is attack. Yeah, I mean, and the other thing is, I had played sequences where I cast Omnath, cracked a fetch, played Uro from the, uh, pl- you know, played and cracked a fetch, played Uro from the free mana, drew a card, dropped the extra land with with Uro, and then got the the four trigger off of that. Yeah, it's it's easier than I expected, even with yeah. like even with a small amount of play, and I played with a format without fetch lands. Do you know what I mean? You, you could use Field of Ruin. Yeah. You could cast a Growth Spiral. Yeah, Growth Spiral. You can, you know, it's just, cra- yeah, it's, it's, these things are good. These, there's a lot of, there's synergy here. And note also that Omnath doesn't have to attack to generate value. Like Uro, you're probably like, okay, I've got to attack with Uro to keep getting these triggers. All Omnath has to do is sit on the battlefield. Just wait for lands. And in these decks that are playing 29, 30 lands, you're playing lands of the battlefield. This pairs nicely with its lack of recursion ability because you can't cast omnath back out of the graveyard and it's just a four four so it's less likely that you're going to want to rumble with this card all the time unless you have the coast clear and so yeah a little bit less to say about omnath but the value is similarly bonkers yeah banned today and standard r.i.p and suspended and historic in a in a in print set yeah so now that we've talked about these cards separately Let's talk about what they do together, because the thing that's weird is that these cards don't really fit into one archetype, or at least there's not there's not really one deck that runs these, right? It's that um, this package seems to do a couple of different things. So if you look at where they appear regularly in modern right now, you know there's the four color Uro pile is sort of the archetypical one that has Omnath right now. It's got Uro, it's got Field of the Dead, it's got Our Promise, Cryptic Command. So it's that kind of mid rangey control deck that we talked about in the way that like Urza used to be, Simic Urza used to be kind of a mid rangey control deck. Uses Field of the Dead and playing a lot of lands to get control. You know, you you can have Field of the Dead as a bailout. You can just smash him with your your big creatures, or you can play like a reasonable control game. You can also play. Uro Omnath in a basically a prime timeless Titan style deck with Dryad of the Elysian Grove that also has Valakut and Field to be able to do a Valakut style plan if you want to, to be able to do just like a lands deck and you don't even have prime time. It's basically just Titan Field without Titan, with a different Titan. There's a combo shell that we talked about earlier that Canister won with and that I've seen that Everos 5-0'd with. Everos had an 80-card version with Yorian, Canister only had 60, but the deal is it's Sahili Rai, Felidar Guardian, Oath of, nice, of Nissa, Utopia Sprawl, plus your Uro Omnath package, all for you to be able to blink things and do stuff like that and just kind of make it happen. And then there's even really, really wild stuff like this Canon Uro Emery Karn, the Great Creator deck that's kind of, we've talked about it in passing before, but it seems to just generate a lot of mana. And it's added Lotus Cobra and Omnath. Yeah. I was actually talking to uh, Brian in our Slack about this. He, uh, another player called uh, Jiggy Wiggy, um, they are co-hosts of like this newer brewing focused podcast called Serum Visions. Uh, check them out for sure. I guess Jiggy Wiggy brewed this up and he shared it on a Discord and then someone 5 owed with it before they could. <laughs> and so like, yeah, it's basically just a, it's like a ramp deck. It's capitalizing on like these different kinds of ramp, like Lotus Copra, Gilded Goose and Kinnon, 
interacts well with like Mox Amber, Spring Leaf Drum, Gilded Goose, and you're just wanting to get Karn or Omnath or Uro out as fast as possible. Like you can get board states like turn two, Omnath, Kinnon, Emery down uh, on the battlefield. Like you just have some crazy board states like early God Pharaoh's gifts from like a Karn the Great Creator. Your opponent's not able to really develop their game at all. There's a lot of synergy, a lot of optionality here. Yeah. And then who can forget Brain to Niv? It's a car, it's a deck that still exists and that I saw on a recent 5-0 list. It's running Omnath and and Uro in modern, we're talking about, but it's also in in Pioneer, of course. Yeah. And then Uro itself is just in even more decks. You know, Uro kind of seems to push more towards pure control lists. So you've got Bant control and Sultai control. You know, I saw a Bant Stoneblade Yorian list in in a deck dump this week. It's all over the place. And then over in Pioneer, uh, Omnath and Uro are the proverbial peas and carrots. Like, they're together in four-color ramp slash landfall-style decks. They're in Niv to Light, like Dave mentioned. They're in the Wilderness Reclamation decks. These decks are all some of the more popular in the format right now. So, I mean, these are just all over the place. They're, they're in different types of decks, different style of decks, combo, mid-range, control, ramp slash big mana type things like mana mana combo decks like the valakit style like it's just they they go together so well and fit into so many different places i think just because what they're they they're just doing so many different things like what what are some of the aspects of these cards dave yeah i mean i think that there are really specific things that this package does that we should consider yeah and I think the first one really because of my point of view on the world these days is that they make life hard on aggro decks, right? This might not be the one to start with. Yeah. But one of the main things here is that the life gain comes along for a ride from both of these cards. Yeah, it's just it's just there. It's just there. Yeah. And so you you get to run a package of, you know, six to eight cards, let's say, that can gain you between, I don't know, six and fourteen life a game without too much trouble, without really taking you off of your plan at all. And so the decks that want to go under them in a metagame where there's a lot of decks with these cards in it have to go really, really fast. Yeah, like like imagine um, two years ago, 18 months ago, where like a, a white-based or a, a white a control deck that has white cards is playing like timely reinforcements. Where it's like, here's, here's my plan against aggro. And it's gaining life and buying some time with these blockers, right? And now, because a, a card like Uro, a card like Omnath has so much other value baked into it, it's like, well, why would I play this card that does one thing, right? Like, it, it simply buys me time against aggro. Where, like, Uro can just be like, okay, I'm on turn three, I'm, I'm gaining life, but I'm also ramping. I'm also drawing through my deck. And then in a turn or two, I'm also gaining more life and creating a giant blocker that's also gaining me more value. I can attack with it. I can block with it. It's like it just completely invalidates some other life gain cards. Yeah, it definitely makes those cards a little bit less appealing. I will say most of the decks that I've seen in the four-color vein have a single tin timely reinforcements in the side still just to like extra buff yourself against aggro. Yeah, I mean, it does gain more life instantly. Or source really, and you can snap it back. Yeah, yeah. Not all the decks run snap. Very few of these decks run Snapcaster Mage. Some of them run it as a one of, but it's um it's a little bit less than I would like being someone who loves Snapcaster Mage, of course. Um, the I don't think that these decks like invalidate aggro, but they definitely make it hard, and they may mean that you need to have a plan for for how you're going to compete against a deck like this. All right, so 
first thing, they make it make life hard on aggro decks. Second thing, they go so well. They enable like a mana hungry deck to thrive. Yes. Because they're both kind of engine cards that generate mana on their own. Again, for just doing the plan that you already want to do. Yeah. I mean, again, we'll get into this in more detail, but the amount of mana generation you get off of something like from Omnath, for example, is is simply bonkers because like it's even on the turn that you play it, it can replace itself, both the card and the mana, right? So it just allows you to take advantage of the synergies you're getting, which is like, okay, I'm drawing cards. I'm drawing cards I want to cast. I can then I need the mana to cast those cards. Well, I have the mana to cast those cards. So the the value baked into it is is so clear and so blatant. And then it just works. Yeah. And then it even it's even the type of mana advantage that lets you, you know, especially when it's Uro, it lets you play land payoff strategies well. Like you can play field of Field of the Dead, and you can play Valakut in strategies with this and have it have it work as well because they're just kind of on plan with putting more lands into play. It's a different than like the combo versions of those that you see. It's more of like a value-y Valakut-y, I think. But um, yeah, it's tough. And then of course, not only do they have mana advantage, they also provide card advantage. They literally draw cards. Or in the case of Omnath, Omnath can, Omnath can just straight up like cast Mizium Mortars uh, when you get that third landfall trigger and kill a bunch of your opponent's creatures. So you get uh, you get a removal kind of card advantage play as well. And finally, they're win cons. They do all these other things, and then you can still use them as your Celestial Colonnade, basically. So I actually think this is really big, um, and maybe we saved the best for last, but we, we were talking about like Uro especially appearing in like all these control decks, but Earl lets these control decks have a, a proactive plan. So it's mm-hmm. no longer just about draw go and and waiting for an answer. You now have a plan that also enables all this other stuff that you guys have been talking about. Yeah. And I think that that was a huge difference for me when I actually played this deck. And so now we can kind of like transition to um, to talking about the decks that we actually played or actually playing with these cards. But um that was big for me was realizing, oh, it's okay for me to have more stuff to do now because my card is so good that it protects me from a lot of other people's plans when I just play it instead of sitting here waiting to counter something that someone's doing all the time. So like I said, the deck that I played this week was just your kind of standard four-color Uro pile. I played the deck that uh, McWin Sauce recently 5-0'd a, a prelim with, which is basically you know your Bolton Path, counters in mana leak force of nature sorry not force of nature force of negation uh cryptic command growth spiral and hour of of uh, devastation and all good lands you know it had 29 lands in the deck and it's just kind of a normal control shell and it's kind of tough for me because i feel like i don't have a lot of depth to the comments of the actual <laughs> gameplay that i had right but playing this deck was honestly sweet and i feel bad about saying that but it was really pretty fun to just do this strategy instead of what I've been playing a lot of lately. Um, But it was like, you really felt like you were playing a powerful deck immediately after starting. It didn't feel kind of fidgety or kind of like you're waiting around like blue white control can sometimes where you're like, Oh, did I miss sequence or did I, you know, I need to make sure to opt or do I leave up sorts of plowshares here? Like, what am I doing? Like, this was very much like, okay, I can do this. And then I can play Growth Spiral if they don't play a threat. And then I can kind of go on and play Uro 
And then the next turn, I'm going to have Omnath and a fetch land out, and it's just going to be like, this is where I am. Yeah. Like, this deck compared to the deck that I play definitely does look more like a controlling type deck, right? Where you can you can generate a lot of value with the cards in this deck while keeping the the coast clear, path, bolt, mana leak. You know, you're countering spells, you're removing things that resolve. And then you're just also getting value with Uro and Omnath. I guess my my initial question for you, Dave, and I apologize if I'm getting into things you want to talk about later, is like, how do these cards, like, how are you playing these cards? How are you sequencing these cards? Are you playing them as early as possible? Are you trying to still hold up interaction to stymie your opponent's development and then say like, hey, um, I can sneak this Uro in on turn five but then also still have like mana leak mana or something like that. No, you're definitely still leaning towards holding up interaction when you have it or when you know that you're in a matchup where it's good, right? So it's interesting, you know, we talked about how this has a, this is a proactive plan for our, for a control deck. And one instance where that really helped me win a match was against Titan, I think where it was kind of like, okay, they're going to try to do their thing I, I can do my thing, and I think that in the long run, my thing might be better if I if I hold up a little bit of interaction and I can activate it after they cast their spells or whatever. Like, I didn't feel like I had to hold up quite as much stuff in that matchup, at least in all the games. So if I drew a, a hand that had creatures, I didn't feel like I was immediately behind. I did mostly kind of hold up a, a lightning bolt or hold up a sword to plowshares, even in the dark, if I didn't know what deck I was playing game one and I went first, just to be like, I want to know if I'm playing against prowess, basically, because I'm going to kill their monastery swift spear if they try to do something or, or something, or want to be, be able to threaten that. So it was a little bit less like I'm going to play Uro on turn three than uh, maybe I'm going to play Uro on turn five, kind of instead. But it's nice to have the option which you don't really have in a deck that has Wall of Omens and Snapcaster Mage in it. You know what I mean? Like you're you're thinking about it much differently then. I don't know. What's your gut there, Stan? How would you how do you think you would approach something like this that even had good big creatures? Well, these decks have fewer spells to interact with. So I think you get to keep a bunch of hands that don't require interaction and can just lean into like the best cards in modern. Yeah. The best creatures at least. Maybe not the best sure, cards. Sure, sure. But you know what I mean? You know what I mean. Yeah. You know what I mean? I I do. Why do you think this deck is only playing two Omnath? Like, I feel like, especially in modern, it feels like running Omnath feels so free. Do you know what I mean? Like, let's say you play an Omnath down and you keep up a fetch land. Okay. Or I guess it doesn't work that way because I was thinking like, let's say I kept up a fetch land. I could enable the mana generation on the fly. Like you can tap out for Omnath, but you can't. Right. Unless you have two fetch lands and you get two landfall triggers to then generate mana to do something with. Yeah. I, I don't think that you, I, I think it's mostly because this deck still wants to run crypt, cryptic command. Yeah. You know, and so you're, you're holding that up. You're, you are playing Omnath. You're basically doing, I think you're playing Omnath as a wrath or you're playing it as an anti-aggro card. That's also a threat, right? So if you're not in a situation where you need to wrath somebody, then you're probably keeping your Omnath back. If you're in keeping up Cryptic Command, if you're not in a situation where you're trying to gain life and get a blocker out, then you're keeping Cryptic up. So, but I'm not an expert, you know. If McGuinn Sauce wants to send us a mean note because I said because I did it <laughs> wrong, that's fine. He's too nice. He would never do that. <laughs> I mean, I guess the the ostensible issue again is like the man is bad, right? I think people think the mana is bad, but it is very much not bad. Like, it's not hard 
to, you have to think ahead and it needs, you need some practice at this, but I think anybody who's played a decent amount of modern and maybe played a three color deck here and there where they had to really think about what they're doing, what they want to get in a basic, what they want to get in a, in a shock land instead will be able to get the cards that they need. The, the biggest problem here is if you want to have red early on, that can make things kind of difficult later on in in your fetching. So you want to make sure that if you're on a hand that has lightning bolt or red and six, that you have a plan for getting back to blue, blue, green, green in a way that makes sense. Then also trying to figure out like, how do I construct a game plan that revolves around field of the dead? If you're in a matchup where that's good, that also I found kind of challenging here and there is like, how do I make, how do I maximize the value off of field of the dead? Which is just because I'm not really used to playing with that card at all. Sure. So but I still think that this was easier to play than straight up blue white or bank control without Uro. You just have threats that can close a game and you have more ways to hang and catch up. And so it was that was helpful. The hardest time I had was against uh Storm. You know, Storm felt like there I didn't have quite enough to be able to disrupt Storm's game plan, even with the counter spells that I had, because you know, it's not always great, or they 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 sandbag a gifts ungiven. You have to counter it, and then the, while you're tapped out, they do something else. Like that kind of thing comes up, and also against taxes, honestly, was tough. Where someone was actively attacking your mana, that is the hard part. It's not that the mana is bad; it's that it's fragile. And with people running a lot of land disruption these days, I think that it's um you know cleansing wildfire. I think would be a little tough for this deck as well. I'm going to ask a potentially uh, contentious question, and it's like. I look at this list, I look at the cards it's playing, I look at what the cards are sort of meant to do, and like, how is this deck not just a mid-range deck? Do you know what I mean? Like, and by that I mean, it's playing Threats, it's playing Interaction, it's playing Planeswalkers. It's designed to stick some stuff onto the battlefield and take over the endgame with it. The only thing that differs is instead of interacting with the hand, it's interacting with the spells on the stack, Right? It's saying like, hey, I'm gonna for- I'm gonna force your stuff. I'm gonna mana leak your stuff. I'm I might you know I could cryptic, which is generating a two for one very easily, and I'm gonna I'm gonna win by having an amazing threat like Uro, an amazing threat like Omnath, and generate more value with my cards than you are with yours. Yeah, I mean, I don't feel like I'm the best like doctor of control to answer that, despite like doing a lot of talking about how much I love control on like our blue white control deck dive a a year ago. But I do definitely feel like this deck feels more mid ranges than pure control ish to me. It's even more less control ish than like, you know, blue moon, of course, which is a very controlly deck or blue whites or even the Bant like no Euro decks, like even Stoneforge, like stone blade, blue white stone blade feels more controlly to me than this deck does personally. Mm. But yeah, I don't know, Stan. What are your thoughts? You you play a lot more control than either one of us. Not a lot of mid range though. I kind of do feel like they're two sides of the same coin, and you can kind of split hairs over semantics. But at the end of the day, like one just has different means to the same end. You mean mid range versus control, or just these the decks that I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that the, that this deck is. It's the difference between two-for-ones and haymakers, right? And a control deck, I think a lot of times, is trying to set up to do like a really big thing yeah. eventually or grind somebody out by making it hard for them to do their things. And this is more about, I'm going to keep up with you and then I'm going to pass you 
with my yeah, with the value with my quality and my value so I, I guess for me it's like i'm playing creatures that are going to be resolved to the battlefield much sooner than many traditional control decks let's say let's say a couple years ago maybe pre-stone forge control decks right which are playing to the battlefield a little bit more quickly now to stabilize and sort of try to turn the corner with like a batter skull or something like that but yeah you know, you're you're playing you're playing potentially like a four four on turn four you're potent you know you're getting an uro down and maybe escaped for your six six to stabilize the battlefield and begin attacking with more quickly than a lot of traditional you know in many people's eyes quote-unquote traditional control style uh, shells yeah i mean that's what i think too could be wrong but i mean this deck i I think is really good and was i enjoyed playing it yeah and would consider to keep playing it if i had a uh super crazy gold level mana traders account to rent all these cards with but shane you also played i did I played uh, I played the four color Omnath, which is a really exciting name uh, on Goldfish. It's basically it's basically four color Omnath mid range, and that's it's more honestly a mid range deck because it does not have like stack based interaction or even a lot. I mean, but it also lacks a lot of battlefield interaction. So it's mid range only in terms of like the CMC of spells you are casting. It's you could safely describe it as maybe like a four color ramp deck. Because your yeah. your goal here is to play a much larger battlefield than your opponent's able to generate in the same amount of time. And to be clear, you played Pioneer. Pioneer. Pioneer, yeah. yeah. Um, and so the way this deck works is it the creatures are Lotus, Cobra, Seder, Wayfinder as a two of. Uro, Omnath, um, you get some Teferi Time Raveler in there, and then all of the ramp spells that we have come to know and love in uh, Standard like grow spiral and cultivate and the escape to the wilds and a singleton of Genesis ultimatum, which is just sort of a payoff card uh, in uh, teamer colors that cost seven CMC that just puts a bunch of stuff onto the battlefield. Right. An interesting card that sort of stands in for the field of the dead payoff is Felidar retreat. And that's a four mana enchantment that when you play a land, it, it whenever a land ETBs, you get to make a two two white cat creature token, or put a one one counter on a creature you control and it gains vigilance. Uh, you're picking the first one, a lot more because you're just trying to create value out of your landfall triggers. This is really a landfall deck because mm-hmm. Lotus Cobra is is insane as I'll probably talk about in a second. Um, 30 lands in this deck, half the deck is lands. And that's good because it's a landfall deck. Like you want to be making your land drops and you want to be having access to all the colors that you have there. So you get a bunch of triumphs to hit your colors. You know, it sort of uh, leans blue green ish because you want to be casting your Uros and escaping your Uros. And also Genesis ultimatum is a green, green, blue, 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 red, red spell. Um, but like you said, Dave, the, the mana is is so easy. Lotus Cobra is a broken card. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait, before we get off the mana, yeah. real quick, a couple things. Stan, did you ever think that we were going to be looking at Felidar Retreat in good decks? I, I did not. I mean, what did you think? I don't know. I think it's a good card. It's white. It creates bodies. We could have slept on it. We slept on it. Yeah, we, ca- we mean, kind of did sleep on it, but I think yeah. that, deck, or that card's awesome. Yeah. So I don't like your tone, David. I'm just trying to draw you into the conversation, my man. I'm, I'm like, listening. What, what do you think? I'm, yeah. I'm absorbing. And then the other thing is, I, I forgot to mention in the modern one, and you brought it up a second ago, 
part of the reason the mana works really well now, and I know that people are somewhere pounding on their iPods right now going, you didn't say anything about Triumphs. I'm still oh, yeah. running an iPod. <laughs> <laughs> It's a it's an iPod with photos on it, at least, or the video pod or whatever. Do you all I, ever have one of those? I swapped the hard drive for a six terabyte one. I've yeah. got all my MP3s. Yeah, the, the Triomes, you don't use them as much in in modern, but they were super useful to me just to have there to like go and grab the one Catria Triome or the Raugren one. And it looks like they're just as important here or more, even more so. Super good. Okay, so the way this deck really plays out is you ramp and win. Uh, so like Lotus Cobra in this deck feels insane. Absolutely insane. Like when you have a resolve Lotus Cobra and a resolve like Omnath, you are generating a, just an obscene amount of mana because you're then you, you cast something like, let's say, let's say even something as simple as a growth spiral. Right. And there's all these, or an, an escape to the wilds. There's all these lines of text that say you may play an additional land this turn, or if Uro attacks, you can put a land from your hand onto the battlefield. Um, and so like these synchronized nicely with Omnath's landfall triggers with Felidar retreats landfall triggers and so and then you know and you're getting additional landfall triggers from your lotus cobra so you're making mana and using mana super efficiently and, su- and in a super high value way escape to the wilds a card that also got banned in standard today um you know it just it's the power is is incredible for and the mana is pretty easy. It's just three red green. So all you have to do is have a single pip of red, single pip of green available. Is this like the biggest uh, light up the stage ever? <laughs> yeah, gigantic. It's like five light up the stage. Light up the wilds and escape to them. Um, that card feels insane to cast because like the risk of casting these things is so low, right? It's like, hey, I'm making mana or I have I have access to exactly five mana, but the way I got there was by playing a land this turn. And then I'm going to draw into five cards, one of which is almost certain to be a land. I'll just get my second landfall trigger, uh, creating four mana for free off my Omnath, potentially getting access to that land off Escape of the Wilds. So I have another five mana to do something with. Maybe I'll cast an Uro. You know, maybe I'll, you know, I'll have enough mana for this Genesis Ultimatum now. Maybe I'll cast a Growth Spiral, make another landfall trigger. I'll do four to the opponent's dome and all their planeswalkers for my third landfall trigger on Amnath. Oh, I also happen to make another color of mana off that third land drop from Lotus Cobra. Because what's what the way Lotus Cobra works is it doesn't tap, right? This isn't like a Birds of Paradise. This right. isn't a Gilded Goose. This is just like I'm always making land drops and I'm making multiple a turn because of the spells in the deck. And that's just giving me more mana to work with off of Lotus Cobra. Like Lotus Cobra can make as many, you know, as many uh, bits of mana as you have landfall triggers. There's no limit there. So this this deck just works together and in this very, very synergistic way. You're building out a really wide board with Felidar Retreat, which, you know, stresses your opponent's removal. It really requires them to have sweepers for you not to outvalue them in an absolutely obscene way with all of your little cat tokens. A a card like Genesis Ultimatum, if you resolve it, is an incredible payoff. Escape to the Wilds is such an easy, it's like, you know, a, a giant sort of collected company type spell where it's like, hey, I have a bunch of cards I can play next turn or this turn because I'm making a bunch of mana. 
it's it just works. It just works really well. I mean, I'm not. That's not saying that it's unbeatable. Like I actually lost a, a good amount. Like the deck, I actually lost once at least. <laughs> I mean, like I mean, that's like the the value is there, but that does not mean that you cannot be uh, out aggroed. It doesn't mean that there's other. There's still other sources of value in the format, right? Like there's there's collected company decks. There's uh, you know. Green, even like green stompy decks that are going wide or trampling over you or putting stress on say like your your omnath is only a four four so if they're attacking in with like a five four or something like that or a five five uh ronis or something like that right it's like well they're putting the pressure on me and yeah i'm i'm i am gaining life but i'm not getting life fast enough that enables me to outrun them with my life gain Uro is still harder to cast in Pioneer because you're filling your graveyard a lot less successfully. You don't have a Thought Scour here. You don't have Fetch Lands here. Um, but I think that this when you play a deck like this with the synergies between Omnath and Lotus Cobra and the the extra land drop spells, um, you really see what this deck is trying to do. Why decks like this have been so successful in standard until that required what three bannings at least out of the cards that I'm playing in pioneer this week. So it's good. I think that there's a lot there, uh, in a, it doesn't feel like it's overpowering everything else in the format. We haven't seen it overpower everything else in the format, but it's actually a really fun deck because it doesn't play like a control deck it plays like a ramp deck it plays like a busted mana deck it plays and that's what's fun yeah there's a lot shane the thing i'm the most impressed about is that there are no notes for what you just talked about <laughs> yeah. do you have notes somewhere else no, that you were talking no, from I'm, I'm i'm you know dude i've it's episode 90 it's episode 95 my friend that was unreal that you got into that level of detail just with your like extemporaneous takes dude i mean amazing i am i am okay at analyzing magic but like without i without just having something to just remind you of what you wanted to say that's, i was looking that's at deck list that's what i was doing i was looking at deck list and thinking about how i felt about the cards I, i'm impressed shane do you need us here <laughs> i don't think he <laughs> I, does i i need you so that's not me people don't listen for me but shane what what makes omnath so good <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I mean, Lotus Cobra felt like the best card in the deck. Yeah, but that's not what this episode is about. It's a, it's a secret. It's a subterfuge of Lotus Cobra. So, Stan, you've heard our takes here, right? Well, what do you what do you think about these two decks as we've as we've talked about them? Are you incentivized? We both weirdly have said that we started out hating these, and it both sound it sounds like we both had a lot of fun playing these cards. Power corrupts, David. I know and that's that's what I'm seeing. So I didn't get to play any of these decks this week because I was out of town over the weekend. But you basically just reinforced like kind of all the reasons why we dislike these cards on paper. But then you've kind of like suggested that playing with them is still fun, right? Like we might dislike their impact, we might dislike their design, or even like the decks that they go into. But that doesn't make mean these cards like aren't flashy and exciting which i think maybe kind of gets us into like where we're going next right which is like the design of these cards and and i guess maybe like something that i think about is whether the cost is worth the impact like the cost on magic like we're seeing what it's doing to standard now and like the most standard bannings like of all time is basically happening right now we yeah. we still get to play with these cards in modern and pio for now 
is it worth it? If you're having fun, maybe it is, but I guess that's that's a conversation we've got to keep having in the next 30 minutes or so. <laughs> yeah, I I mean, I think it's it's a good time as any to sort of talk about like what is this getting at in terms of like card design? Like what do these cards say about contemporary card design? And there's been a lot of spilled ink about what these cards are doing and what that says about the way Watsi is designing sets and the development process inside of Wizards. And we've talked about this a lot, right? There's just no risk. Like if you untap with these cards, you're just ahead. And even if you don't untap with them, you got some value or they replace themselves, right? And so I like the the, the topic that this has brought up is like, are, are Bane Slayers becoming mall drifters? And Dave, this, this is probably more meaningful to you in terms of these cards. But what it really means, what it's getting at is like this old Pat Chapin discussion where he talks about, you know, creatures are in two categories, Bane Slayers and mall drifters. And Michael Rapp uh, wrote a nice article sort of summarizing this concept again, but also talking about, in particular, Uro, because this is before the printing of Omnath, about how Uro is how, how cards in the recent past have been bridging this gap and how Uro bridges it perhaps in the, the current final form. Um, but what, it, so a Baneslayer is like a card that gets value out of sticking around. Um, and they don't necessarily have a, a non-combat ability. Like they don't draw a card when they into ETB. They don't, you know, they don't uh, ravenous chupacabra or something. All they have to stick around and untap, and then you get some value. Like if, yeah, if it, or they're just really stout yes, threats, yeah, right. Like that's what it is. You know, Baneslayer. The whole thing there was that it was just a five-five that it gained you life and flew. Yeah, you know, and so that that's really powerful. Protection but like you from said, dragons and demons. Yes, yes. But like, so what, but first Mul, strike. Mull Drifter, um, it draws two cards when it ETBs, right? So, like, you don't have to have this thing survive to get some kind of value out of it. So, like, yeah. Tarmogoyfs are Bane Slayer. Questing Beast is like a Bane Slayer. Yorian is like your companion. Mull Drifter, like Skyclave Apparition, is sort of something like a Mull Drifter, right? But, like, we saw that line start to get blurred with like prime time or like t- the Titans in general, right? Like it's, it's much like in the same thing as Uro where it does something on ETB, but it also does something on attack. And it has a giant body yeah. that you're not too much over. You're not really over rate for it. Like you're yeah. even paying good rate for it. But like prime time is a six, six or prime time costs six, which is like a drawback. Right. And like, and then there's like something like Siege Rhino, like your four or five trampler for four. Lightning Helix is your opponent. Dang. Right. That's good. But, you know, it's in Abzan colors, has to fit into a deck that, you know, it costs four mana, not exactly free. And, and it was a, a force in standard and modern for years. Right. But then now it's kind of outclassed, doesn't really have a home. And people wanted to ban Siege Rhino in standard at one point in time. You know what I mean? Like it was so ubiquitous. And now we have Omnia. <laughs> yeah, right? It's like, so how is Uro like bridging this gap, right? Like it does all these things we talked about earlier today in this episode, but it like makes like, it makes removal seem like a joke because of the escapability, right? Unless you exile it, like it gets that kind of value as well. Even if you think Uro, Uro's like, okay, it takes seven mana to get these two triggers out of, right? But you're able to pay that in installments, and you take advantage of graveyard synergies because it, like maybe you don't pay for Uro the first time at all. Uh, you can make like this impact early on in the game and you can make it multiple times 
in the mid to late game uh, just because of the way Uro functions, right? And if you want to consider its drawback like two colors and the escape cost being color intensive and requiring a graveyard, we have fixing. We have fetches, shocks, triumphs. It's not a legitimate concern to be like, oh, green, green, blue, blue, that's pretty rough. And we talked about how graveyard issue is maybe prohibitive in Pioneer because you don't have like those thought scour effects and there's no cantrips really and there's no fetch lands. Modern, you're filling up that graveyard super easily. You can pay for escape multiple times a game. And then you have something like Omnath, right? Like it, it does require four colors. And it's like the Muldrifter side, if you want to consider like the ETB, not super busted, right? Like it's Baneslayer side is crazy. Like if you untap with this card, you're going to you're gonna use the value, the snowball you get because of the landfall triggers. It's just crazy. Yeah, I mean, I think that the triggered part is somewhere in between, right? Because you essentially want to set yourself in a situation where you get the triggers when you play it. Yeah, like, you do. You, you you want to have cast a ramp spell on turn three or turn two. You know, if you cast a ramp spell on turn three, i.e. Uro, it means that you get to play Omnath on turn four with a fetch land up in modern or not a fetch land up, but with a with the ability to then play a fetch land and have it come have it tap it. So you get the comes into play and two triggers that go with it. So I think that if you look at it that way, like it is kind of like a mega mole drifter <laughs> in a lot of ways. So, I mean, the point here of this conversation, or at least like the sort of outline I've, I've made here is like these cards are creating two kinds of traditional card value, right? They do something when you when you cast them and they resolve. They do something if they stick around on the battlefield and the things they are doing are more powerful than the, the effects that we have had to deal with and had to manage in the past. Guys, is the juice worth the squeeze? What's I guess that, that consider what's the juice and what's the squeeze, Dan? Is the squeeze like the stress it puts on other decks, other cards, other people? Like what's what are we looking at here? Yes. <laughs> the, the the squeeze on our pocketbooks, the squeeze on our our happiness. Exactly, like all of the above. Like there was a reason why we were kind of averse to these cards before this episode. There's a reason why a lot of people are thrilled that they're banned. There's people who want them banned in Modern and Pio, like. You played them, you, you've kind of acknowledged how powerful they are, you've admitted that you had fun playing them, but like, do you think that they belong in Magic, though? Like, not, I, I loved playing with Faithless Looting, doesn't mean it gets to stick around. Yeah. I mean, Dave, you go first, I've been talking a lot. Oh boy, way to throw, I was about to say, Stan, you go first. Um, ah, It's so hard because they're broken more in a way that Stoneforge Mystic was broken, then they're broken in the way that Faithless Looting was broken. You know what I mean? Like Faithless Looting was a com was a piece that enabled a lot of degenerate combo-y things to happen and kind of pulled the not that Uro and Omnaf won't, won't do this too. You know, Faithless Looting warped the entire format of of modern around the fact that you had to be able to deal with graveyard decks that were enabled by Faithless Looting all the time. Right. And it's it's a much different and weirder lens to look at it where it's just like, wow, these cards generate so much value. Should we consider banning them because of all the value they generate? It's not like they enable you to like, you know, Bridgevine someone or Arclight Phoenix someone like Faithless Looting used to or Hollow One someone. It's a different axis in a lot of ways. And I think it's one that's a lot harder to fix in some ways, which is why I kind of wish that they hadn't crossed these two streams that you've that, you know, Chapin and 
Michael Rapp and you have sort of like, like that you've recapped in this earlier is like, that's hard to, f- to figure out how to metagame around yes. and also hard to figure out what to do other than just remove them from the format because they're likely always going to be good until there's a card that's better that does us that generates more value and that's a scary proposition that's what i'm i'm thinking the same thing dave right but my but it's really hard for me to say yeah we got to ban them you know like i why is that hard for you because they're because they don't create broken decks they just create massive card advantage the card is too good so like the argument that watsy could potentially make about a card like this is we're seeing this show up in like 30, 30% of our top 32s. It's unlikely to be the argument, I mean, it, outside of standard, which they said that like Omnath style decks were like nine out of 10 of the top, like the top 10 decks was, it was beating. Uh, I don't think we're going to see that in Pioneer. I don't think we're going to see that in Modern potentially where it's like, hey, this deck has no bad matchups. This deck, um, these type of decks are... 30% of our competition metagame. People are sick of seeing them and they're also too good. I think we could probably have we could probably have one or the other in a situation like this because like Dave said is like these are essentially value decks. And that is the scary thing and that's what kind of people I think are complaining about is like why are you making a card like this? Because it's not inherently um enabling a busted graveyard strategy it's not enabling an artifact combo strategy it's not enabling you know it's it's not able to do something that wins the turn it's cast it's just saying hey you cannot keep up with the mana advantage i'm getting you're not keeping up with the card advantage i'm getting you're not keeping up with the life game i'm getting you're not keeping up with the recursion i'm getting out of these cards and you have to play this if you can if you want to play a deck like this and it completely invalidates other mid-range strategies in Pioneer. It invalidates a lot of other control type strategies in, in modern. But we can we have seen that a traditional blue-white strategy is hanging there just fine because modern has a higher power level across the board. And formats like standard certainly don't, and formats like Pioneer kind of do. And modern, I think, does it in a more powerful way. So so Shane, the way you just described it as you know, you can't keep up with any of these things that I'm doing. I don't know what about that isn't broken to you, Dave. Like, if 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 every other deck can't keep up with the fact that, like, the blue-green X deck can, like, play lands, extra lands almost every turn and play these sticky threats that can't be beat and then generate just, like, insane amount of value off the creatures that are already on plan anyway. Like, I think that is broken. It's just broken in a way that we're not particularly used to. And we sort of, I mean, to your point, we've opened Pandora's box, and I don't think we've seen the last of, like, these crazy Banesling Muldrifters, but... That's a scary on-card, the Banesling Muldrifter. Um, yeah, it's it's a hard question. W- wouldn't you be happier if these cards weren't around? These two cards? I mean, I just bought three Euros, so no, <laughs> personally, but... Um, I mean... I, I don't know. Like, I mean, I it could be that the format is like re- has to realign around Path to Exile, which it's already doing because yeah. Uro yeah. is there. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so it's like, okay, we have to play Exile effects. Okay, we have to play Cling to Dust. Okay, we have to do these things to be able to deal with Uro and also other cards that are are good in this way. You know what I mean? So yeah. I'm not sure. Like, I mean, just last week, Racto Shadow was at the top of the of the the meta and you know in the mana traders tournament we covered a couple weeks ago like the omnath piles didn't even have a 50 percent win percentage 
it's um you know i i just feel like i'm not sure that it's like this you're gonna get at the top of the metagame and just stay there and modern at least right pioneer uh maybe 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 worse but yeah there's it's it's weird that you look at the stats and it's like uro and omnath are incredibly popular creatures in the format but then you look at the actual sort of metagame and you're like what the decks are they are they in it's like okay they're in niv like they're in the four color omnath they're in the rec decks but like you know that we do still see a lot of other decks that are able to hang and i think a lot of that is simply like we don't have fetch lands you know what i mean we don't have the same cards that enable the strategies to be too crazy we have thought seas, we have clean of dust, we have other ways to interact with the graveyard, we have ways to remove a four-four pretty efficiently in you know at least some colors, right? And so and so it's like I think there are balances that exist in Pioneer because of the power level. And then in modern, I think, like you said, Dave, is we have the balance of things like our removal spells that we have available available to us and um, just other powerful decks and combo decks, especially that can sort of win around it sometimes. Yeah. I just don't know. I don't know if I really feel like the card that this remind this really does remind me the most of is Oko, especially like Uro reminds me the most of Oko, but it's, it's a different way, right? Like Oko was another card that was just, um, it wasn't broken in a way that led to broken decks. It was broken in a way that it did too many things too easily. And that, is this space that Uro occupies? I just don't. I don't know for sure that it's so broken that it needs, or so good at that that it needs to be banned. Planeswalkers are so hard to interact with that it ultimately made a lot of sense. And and Oko's casting cost was so low, and its loyalty was so high that it was really hard to kill. Right. Yeah. And I just don't know if Uro is in that same spot, even with the escape clause. I'm not ready to render judgment quite yet, I guess. Yeah, I think it's a wait and see for me at least, right? It's like these are incredibly powerful strategies with incredibly good synergies. And there is a chance that something will happen with the stats or with the play rates or if Pioneer becomes like the tournament focus uh, in the future that people will break it or push even further and actually need to be taken. But for now, I think things feel okay. Um, But, you know, the, the cards are crazy. I worry about what this says about the value that's going to be baked into creatures in the future. Like, you can't unmake an Omnath. You can't unmake an Uro. You can just ban them. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you we can't nerf these things in paper. This isn't a digital card game, um, unfortunately, in a lot of ways, right? So we don't have other options. We can't make the life gain less. We can't make the mana generation less. We can't tweak their power and toughness. And that's that's a tough spot. So we're getting so close to time, but there is one question that I I was dying to ask you guys while also airing a grievance. Why are all of these amazing cards green and often green blue? Like, why can't they give us like these these bomb permanent creature value sweet sweet VGBs in red and and white? Blue draws cards. That's the that's the biggest one I think is that blue draws cards, and so it. It gets tacked onto those. So, the, so they just want everything to draw. But that's not true. Cleansing Wildfire draws a card. That's, uh, yeah. the, the black Cleansing Wildfire also, I think, draws a card. Yeah. I mean, I just mean, I, I think it's the most on color for blue. And then the ramp thing is the most on color for green. Yeah. And so that's where you're kind of getting that 
But Oko doesn't do either of those things. Yeah, well, I don't know what to say about Oko. Here's my, my, my point is that, like, I feel like there's this effort from R&D to make green good or something. Like, what, the past, like, four years? Right? Like, doesn't it seem like they've kind of, like, zeroed in on, like, this very specific slice of the color pie and decided we're going to make, we're going to push this as much as possible? Yeah, I mean, you guys know that I famously, when we started this podcast, I was like, I, I don't ever play green. I'm not playing green. And I'm like, I play green all the time. <laughs> now, my favorite color. You know, I have Tarmogoyfs. I like to, you know, all that stuff. So, <sighs> look, I'm not mad, but, you know, we did it for science. Stan, I'm not mad. I'm disappointed. He's disappointed in us. I, I am glad that I didn't, I had a really good excuse not to play these cards and decks. Just because, like, shuffling and trading between the three of us was going to be a pain in the butt. Yeah. But you guys did a great job of holding down the fort. Can I say one thing before we sign off here? Yeah. Wizards, if it's not too late, take it easy on putting draw a card on stuff, <laughs> on, on creatures that are already good and cheap. Like, rein it in a little bit. Th- this brings up a whole other point. Like, remember when variance was something we had to actually, like, lose to? Yeah. I mean, there's still plenty of variance, but it's nice to be able to play a card and get a card immediately back out and... It makes it really hard to play cards that don't do that. It just feels like there's less and less variance these days, especially if you're in green. Yeah. It's weird. It's very weird. I still like magic, though. I can't complain too much. Yeah. There are a lot of people online that were really upset about magic the last week or so, and it's like, it's always hard for me to see that stuff because I'm just like, it's not an experience that I share. Yeah. Yeah, I bought some cards this weekend even, so like, I'm still in it. Wow. still in it. All right, but that does wrap up this week's episode. Episode one in what's sure to be a recurring series called We're Doing It for Science. We did it for science? We did it for science is what I would like to call it. But If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest We Did It for Science episodes as soon as they come out in the future <laughs> and beyond. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. If you'd like to submit a question to the podcast, pick our brain on something in Modern or Pioneer, Give us some feedback on this new style of episode we're trying out. You can tweet us at the dive down, all one word, or email the dive down at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can join our Patreon. We're joining at any tier, gets you access to the super secret Slack channel. Find that over at patreon.com slash the dive down. Of course, shout out to Mana Traders for sponsoring our show. Sign up for Mana Traders using promo code the dive down, all one word and get 15% off your first three months of Magic Online cards. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and escape from Nims! My first name is Stanislav. My family calls me Slava, and Slava means glory. Oh, that's ambitious. (laughs) It really is.